0: Hello, one and all, and welcome back to the neck of the woods that we like to call the AirPod. It's a little quieter this week, Maggie. I feel like I've caught my breath.
1: <laughs> did you Did you rest? Did you take a nap? I feel like now it's the time for like actually digesting all of the news that happened and talking about it. Last week, we were just kind of surviving.
0: <laughs> we did. We sort of <laughs> caught up at like, various points throughout the day just to try and piece together some something that resembled an episode of this show but i think we live to tell the story i felt
1: like yeah last week i think conveyed the the hecticness of of sort of a week in the the life post interview but hopefully this podcast we can actually take a breath we have non-interview related royals news and of course some more interview fallout
0: exactly yes we will be talking a lot more about some of the fallout from the oprah interview of course later on in the show but this was Of course, the week that Prince Philip also left hospital. Uh,
1: Yes, good news. Exactly.
0: Kate left the palace to attend a vigil at a London park. The Sussexes brought their focus back to compassion. We also learnt about some of the unproductive calls that took place between Harry and his family. Hmm. But before that, some brighter news. We have our first announcement of a royal tour of sorts to share with I you.
1: was shocked when I saw this, Omed. This is amazing. <laughs> this, You
0: know, this pinged in my, my inbox earlier today. Uh, as we record this, it's currently embargoed, but it will, will be out by the time this episode drops. Um, we had a, an email from Clarence House announcing that Prince Charles and Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, are headed over to Greece, Athens to be specific on the 24th and 25th of March, of course, at the request of the British government to help celebrate the bicentenary Mm. of Independence Day celebrations in Athens. Uh, It comes from an invitation that they had from the prime minister of Greece. So this is, I mean, we have of course seen members of the royal family technically travel, you know, quote unquote, overseas uh, throughout this pandemic, but this is the first time that it's a proper proper royal trip on the road.
1: <laughs> yeah, some of the pomp and circumstance and everything. You know, I have to say when I, when when you first told me this, I, uh, it, I was so excited because it feels like this is one step closer to us getting back to world pre-pandemic, right? And obviously the whole world has changed, we're never going to get back to really what it was like pre-pandemic, but the fact that we have a royal tour overseas. It's happening. I mean, how often have we said, Omid, that once the royals are back out on the road, it'll be a sign to the world that we've made progress and things are getting back to normal. And it seems like, you know, here we are. They're, they're going back on a royal tour.
0: Yeah, you know, it reminds me our, our prime minister here, Boris Johnson, made a comment mm. last year that the world or the country will start returning back to normal when you see the daffodils out in spring hmm. that was his kind of mini promise and at the time i was like yeah right and i thought that they're already i could see some of them popping up through the ground anyway but here we are it's spring the daffodils are out and you know 25 million adults in the uk have now been vaccinated so that's yeah, it's really incredible. almost half of the adult population we're doing pretty well and so to get something like this. You know, it's a it's a relatively low-key visit and one that I would imagine in pre-COVID times wouldn't get much focus. But I would imagine for this specific trip, all eyes will be on Charles and Camilla overseas because it's a sign of so much more than just uh, the reason in which they're there for. Yeah.
1: And also, you know, Charles, like we've always said, has been um, sort of at the forefront of our fight against COVID, having, you know, been diagnosed with it so early on during the pandemic. And so they've been very open, I think, about the medical issues and, you know, talking about how they got vaccinated and and, and really owning this as something that, you know, they were going to be the face of. And so to see, you know, him and Camilla in particular being able to travel abroad, um, those are pretty big things.
0: Yeah, well, we saw Camilla earlier this week at a vaccination Center in North London and uh, in, in the middle of what has been quite a controversial week for the AstraZeneca jab she admitted that that was the one that she had had so I think that as we mm. see Royals are kind of doing their bit to perhaps keep a little calm in very uncertain times.
1: Are you saying they're keeping calm and carrying on on
0: <laughs> Maybe for this. I think we've certainly seen over the last few weeks that that is something that they're also not very good at doing. Not doing <laughs> um, But speaking of calm, we had great news this week about Prince Philip, who after, well, four weeks in hospital, yeah. finally has been discharged from the King Edward VII Hospital in London and returned to the Queen at Windsor Castle. Aww. This, is of course, follows treatment that he had for an infection, And a procedure that he had for a pre-existing heart condition, but it is, I guess, probably a huge moment of relief for the Queen, who's been by herself for pretty much a month. But also great news for him, you know, it's his hundredth birthday soon. With that, that day is creeping up, and I think that many were worried that it may not happen. But here we are. Uh, Certainly a a show of strength when when he was (laughs) photographed leaving the hospital. Although, I must admit, I wasn't entirely comfortable with the amount of attention that was on him as he drove out Left. of the hospital. Yes, I give the man some space. Yeah.
1: Like, this was the longest he's ever been in the hospital for. I mean, he was there for a solid four weeks, a month. And, uh, you know, that's concerning, I think, for anyone of any age, but especially if you're 99 years old. So yeah, I think, you know, there was a lot of attention on him, but seeing him, he was sitting upright in the backseat of that car when he left the hospital, all good signs, you know, clearly um, feeling better, all very hopeful signs. And for me, like like you said, Om, the thing I keep thinking about is, you know, he didn't see his wife for a month. Didn't really see any of his family only Charles was able to come and visit him that we know of so being able to get back to his family uh, must have just been you know what they all were waiting for
0: exactly I did try and find out a little bit about how he was doing from the palace uh, all i got was that he's in good spirits so, t- take <laughs> so from let that, me
1: guess <laughs> t- were his spirits good omen
0: <laughs> take from that what you will but i think that that is a, is a good sign you know there had been a period yeah. where we didn't really i think we we're so used to getting those regular updates on the duke of edinburgh from the palace mm-hmm. particularly in the run-up to the oprah interview which I'll, I'll hold my cynicism aside for, for a second, because those <laughs> updates stopped immediately after the interview aired. Oh, you're right. And it was, uh, I think for many were, were sort of guessing, like, does this mean that they just no longer want to bring attention to it? Does this mean things mm. could have gotten worse? Um, so I think for everyone, it, it was certainly a sigh of relief. And And we heard from Prince Charles himself when he visited... The Finsbury Park mosque in North London this week where one of the reporters asked him how he was doing and he said that he had spoken to his father several times and that he was doing mm-hmm. very well so yeah nice ending to that story.
1: Yes we're all I think very very relieved and happy.
0: We've seen a lot of the royal family members this week uh, not just Prince Philip who I didn't think we'd be seeing out, out and about technically although I'm not crazy about the fact that we did see him given the circumstances those photos were taken in but I think a site we're more familiar with is the Cambridges and they were out in force this week Mm. including an unexpected visit from the Duchess of Cambridge at a park in London
1: yeah, this was really moving. omen. you know, I think this is something that probably everyone has heard her name at this point, Sarah Everard. It, it was such a tragic story that happened here in the UK. She 33 years old, um, walking home at night, just after nine 30, when uh, it's believed she was kidnapped and murdered. They've arrested and charged actually a local police officer uh, with her kidnap and murder. And this, it, it's such a horrible story. Omen, And I think it's sort of everyone's nightmare. And it, it really gripped the attention, not only here in the UK, uh, but around the world, you know, I have so many friends in the states that are posting about this. There were mm-hmm. vigils all throughout the UK and Ireland, and uh, it's something that I think collectively women have really come uh, gathered around. This collective sense of, of grief and of anger and of wanting to, to change, change something. You know, I was at the I was at the her memorial, and everyone I spoke with kind of said the same thing. They were sharing stories of all the stuff they do unconsciously all the time to stay safe. You know, um, calling friends on the way home, having an open line, walking your keys in your fist making sure it's not dark out taking a well-lit route you know stuff that sarah was doing all of these things and still got kidnapped and so you know it's it's really sort of cut to the core and and brought a lot of fear for women and at this memorial that was so emotional all of a sudden people realized that um Kate Middleton was right there. She was just sort of uh, very casually. Um, she was by herself, walked to the, into the middle of this memorial, very somber, very emotional, quiet moment, and paid her respects. She, she um, you know, was kind of walking around where there are flowers and signs, and I think for a lot of people, this was a really powerful moment because you know it's it. It's almost hard to put into words, but we covered it quite a bit for ABC, and I was there at that memorial and. It's just so quiet hmm. and you can feel people, you know, really remembering Sarah. But everyone we spoke to said the same thing, that it could have been them. And that's even what we heard from Kate Middleton as well. The palace releasing a statement saying, you know, she remembers what it was like to be a young woman before she was You know the Duchess before she was married, uh, walking around London. We all know that feeling, and so uh, it's really spurred this larger movement. And Kate being there really seemed like, you know, not only support for Sarah, but support for this movement uh, for all women as well.
0: Yeah, her her visit was an hour before a very public vigil that I think that the Hmm. authorities had tried to really crack down on reminding of course we're still in a, in a lockdown and, and and no doubt many of you will have seen some of the horrific images that came out of that uh, later in the evening with of course uh, police getting heavily involved and that sparked huge controversy in itself but Kate's visit was an hour really before this vigil began and she had brought flowers that she had picked from the grounds of Kensington Palace along with her And I think there have been a lot of comments about her not wearing a mask and was that appropriate or not. And I I think that these are conversations that we should always have when it comes to royals and sort of carrying out public duties. But this was very much a a private moment. And I think regardless of anything that had happened in the run up, be it the Oprah interview or any focus on the royal family at that, that time, I think we would have always seen Kate at something like this or at least heard about it because it is something that she can clearly connect to i think no matter what your background or your wealth status is uh, pre or post becoming a member of the royal family i think every woman in this city and in cities and towns across the world can can relate to that feeling of feeling unprotected or vulnerable or unsafe in their surroundings i mean i've certainly been that friend that any female friend of mine that i uh, hang out with or see and my first question was like text me when you get home send me a photograph of the uber license plate or the screenshot of the booking or whatever it is you know and that that is unfortunately the world in which she lives in and of course she no longer has to have those worries but once did
1: yeah yeah you know i I agree it's easy to kind of be cynical and obviously coming after the oprah interview there's so much extra sort of emotion and drama and gossip but you know at the end of the day take all of that out of this this was just a moment where a member of the royal family was able to bring even more awareness to a cause that is so important and that's sort of what at least I want to take away from this right Mm. it's like forget all of the other nasty gossip and drama we can have time for that a different day but right here in this moment just focusing on You know, the tragedy of this woman's death and the fact that it has become a larger movement. Kate was there. We're talking about it. She made more people talk about it. I mean, that is, you know, shows you that we always talk about sort of the power of the royal family when it's used for good. And hopefully this was one of those moments where her being there, you know, drove more people to care about this issue.
0: Mm. Well, when we saw more of the Cambridges later in the week visiting uh, the ambulance station or one of the ambulance stations, in East London where they caught up with staff and uh, ambulance workers, who, of course, have been uh, experiencing a very difficult and different year throughout this pandemic. And so they went to to hear more of their stories. And also, I think even at at times they FaceTimed with some of the staff that couldn't even attend the engagement or weren't able to be there because of course they kept the numbers quite low. Um, But, you know, I think it's been very interesting following sort of that week after the Oprah interview to see how the Royal Family have perhaps handled their work and and what they're doing in light of what has come up. And I think this does sort of fit that kind of keep calm, carry on attitude that we have from the Royal Family. I don't know how well it will work in the long run because I think that we have so many unaddressed issues that still need to be spoken about. Um, And I think that what the royals will find over time is that no matter what it is that they're doing, the conversation will always somehow come back to some of the things that we learnt last week in the Oprah interview until they're addressed. That is very much the world in which we live in now. I don't think you can kind of hope that something will go away.
1: Will go away. Did we still hear? You know, at some of these events, I know. You know, we remember, obviously, last week, uh, reporters shouting questions at the Cambridges when they were out, and we did have William sort of giving that off-the-cuff response, saying, you know, "My family is not racist." Did, did did we hear reporters shouting at them like that this week, or did sort of some of that quiet down a bit? Well,
0: it's interesting. Of course, as many of you guys listening will know, the royal family really only operate on sort of like a system similar to the White House pool system so there's always like one reporter there representing all of the British media organizations that then reports back to them especially at the moment in this sort of COVID era where we can't have those big groups which is usually you and I there as well uh, covering these engagements Um, and there hasn't been any of that in the past week and I would imagine that's because how appropriate is it to throw questions like that across and and will and will the response be satisfactory in any way i you know i as much as william's remarks when they visited the school last week about his family not being racist may have felt great for him at the time i'm not really sure if it actually helped the story or the situation or the accusations in any way whatsoever because, as I said last week, there was no sort of condemnation of racism, there was no further thoughts or views on the matter given, it was sort of like a very much guard up response and one that perhaps many may have felt that didn't actually fit or were suitable. As a response because of course there is a history of racism from certain individuals in the family so it's not a sort of simple yes or no question um
1: you know, you need a more nuanced conversation than just reporters shouting yes or no questions and angering people
0: exactly um but you know i think as as much as this does loom over there is still those opportunities for i guess the more positive moments to be shared we of course just had mother's day here in the uk and you know rather Mm. than seeing any tributes towards uh, kate uh, or or the sort of other mothers in the royal family we saw uh, prince william really going out of his way to show his children acknowledging his own mother on mother's day Mm -hmm. Uh, three cards were released by kensington palace i'm sure you have seen them on their twitter or instagram accounts Mm. but if you haven't go and check them out um, but it was it was sweet to see the kids really talking about Diana for, for the first time, at least in front of us.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think, obviously, when someone who is so well-known and famous passes away like that, the, the, the whole sort of world comes together and more. But you can almost forget that there's a family mourning as well. And so, you know, her two sons, obviously, were so thrown into the spotlight. Um, but then you have their kids who have to kind of learn about their grandma that they're never going to meet. And so for me, that's what I thought. I had never necessarily thought about them missing their grandmother before. And so to see these notes written from the three little kids that were just so kind of genuine and honest and, you know... uh, wishing her happy mother day saying that papa was sad mm. that's what really gutted me um and i think you know it's it's good to remember that and just remember that you know on, on a day that celebrates mothers there are people that are missing theirs as well yeah
0: i think those words from george um saying dear it was a card directly to diana dear granny diana happy mother's day i love you very much and think of you always sending lots of love from george I think these cards will have really resonated with people because this has been a year or this certainly was a year where I'm sure many are thinking about the loss of loved ones um, on on Mother's Day when so many families have been torn apart by this virus and you know that was kind of the message that came from Kensington Palace in the tweet it said many of us will be apart from our loved ones but looking forward to a time in the not too distant future when we can give our mother a hug again and then it said, but for those experiencing bereavement today may be particularly challenging. And they went on to reveal that each year, George, Charlotte and Louis make cards remembering Granny Diana for William, which is obviously something that he goes out of his way to keep alive in his family because they, of course, have never had that, that privilege of meeting their grandmother before.
1: Yeah, I mean, then we also saw from Harry sending flowers to the grave of his mother as well. You know, it's clearly uh, that grief never goes away. And seeing them both be so public about it, though, in, in a year like you say, like this, where so many people lost people that they love, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's you know, it's it's very powerful to remember that and to show that they're also missing someone just like so many others and that uh, they can relate to those feelings of loss and grief and loneliness that I'm sure so many people are feeling right now.
0: Yeah, and it'll be very interesting to see how later in the year the two brothers will continue to remember their mother in, in the month in July where she would be turning 60. Of course, July the 1st, and we don't have a confirmation on that day is... The, the, the sort of supposed date that we'll see the two of them perhaps together at Kensington Palace unveiling a statue commemorating their mother. It was of course supposed to be unveiled last year and I believe it's actually been ready for some time now, um, but of course due to the pandemic that's had to be pushed back. So it'll be interesting to see if that gets confirmed or if that's still going ahead as planned um, and if we'll see the brothers together And in the meantime, we're going to take a very quick break, but afterwards we'll be catching up on conversations that the two brothers have had since the Oprah interview and also finding out what the Sussexes have been up to as they focus on what matters most. Welcome back. Well, it has been, I would say, roughly two weeks since the Oprah interview. And whilst there are still so many unanswered questions. We have heard more about some of the aftermath that has really followed the big interview. Gail King started the week by telling viewers of CBS This Morning about a conversation she had had with the Sussexes following the interview and how Harry had shared with her that that he had had conversations with both his father and his brother that were, in her words, not productive.
1: But I did actually call them to see how they were feeling and it's true. Harry has talked to his brother and he has talked to his father, too. Uh, The word I was given was that those conversations were not productive, but they are glad that they have at least started a conversation. And I think what is still upsetting to them is that the palace keeps saying they want to work it out privately, but yet they believe these these false stories are coming out that are very disparaging against Meghan still. No one in the royal family has
0: talked to Meghan yet. You know, we don't often get such uh, detailed insight into what's going on. We're so used to anonymous sources, palace courtiers and aides dropping little hints in various sections of the press that it was actually quite refreshing, Maggie, to hear from someone that just shared it from the horse's mouth, so to speak.
1: I have to admit, I was so surprised, Omen. I don't know if I've ever really seen um, an anchor or a correspondent of a show like this just speak so publicly and openly uh, about their conversation with the sort of the person that's the newsmaker of the moment. I mean, this was, you know, arguably one of the the biggest interviews. Well, it was definitely the biggest interview of 2021, and one of the biggest interviews in, in you know recent mm. memory, and to have her just say, oh, well, here's the latest. I talked to him on the phone and here's what they said. And um, it was somewhat shocking.
0: It was, you know, it was certainly surprising because as I said, we're so used to information coming through several channels removed. And, you know, this is the Royal Beat, as anyone that follows it would know, is so sort of anonymous source driven. That is kind of the culture of how information is shared and in fact it was only two days before Gail's comments that we read in the Sunday Times of London from an anonymous source how uh, Hmm. contact had been made between Harry and his brother so we kind of already knew that there had been something and I'd also been able to verify this with the source although I didn't write about it uh, really straight away because there wasn't really anything to add to, to that um, but, of course, Gail uh, coming in strong with the good details. <laughs> um, but I think what was interesting about this was that for the royal family, or at least for the institution, and that is, of course, really what, what uh, is the side of the, of the monarchy that is trying to kind of keep control of the narrative at times, it would have been uh, a jarring moment to suddenly realise, oh, mm-hmm. we're not the only ones in the driver's seat. We're not the only ones that can get something out there. And I could imagine that certain individuals might have felt a little perturbed by that because you know, whilst we had heard that contact had been made between Harry and his brother, we didn't know what. So for us to then find out that that was unproductive kind of gives us a slightly different side to the story. And then on top of that, to find out that not one member of the royal family had reached out to Meghan as well which is something else that Gail had shared I think didn't paint a particularly great picture for the royal family that is still technically reeling from these uh, accusations or this accusation of racism in the family and of course uh, Meghan's own candid remarks about her mental health struggles and that being ignored within the family so to find out that she continues to be ignored I'm not sure is a particularly great moment for the institution and, and, and of course the family members.
1: Well it's interesting because you know there, it's all, uh, we're all taking this the word of whoever's speaking, right? So uh, who knows, you know, the the truth may be somewhere in the middle. But for me, what's so powerful here is that uh, the narrative and who's taking control of the narrative is changing so much. Like you say, uh, the palace is kind of used to being the end all be all about what's released into the public Mm. space. Now, all of a sudden, we have this Powerful voice going on major networks in America, sharing what's happening inside the palace without the palace's approval, and that's incredibly powerful. And the fact that you know Harry and Meghan, it seems as if they can almost just call up and get their points across on a major media network outside of the palace and their restrictions. Uh, that's somewhat unprecedented.
0: Yeah, and you know, I I actually tweeted something at the time. Uh, a, a sort of pointing out perhaps some hip some of the hypocrisy between sort of people being outraged at Gail sharing information to do with private information to do with the royal family but then no one ever ha- having an issue when it's coming from sort of anonymous palace sources in the likes of the Daily Mail or whatever is the newspaper of the day that time and whilst I still stand by that, many people did say, well, the difference is, is that that's not a royal family member themselves sharing information about a private conversation. But I guess what we don't know is, I'm sure Gail certainly would have been allowed to to share what, what she had sort of discussed with the couple, but we don't know if she was allowed to share everything or maybe they had expected her to say less or... I mean, we, that those are things that we'll never know um but i think that ultimately this is this was a continuation of the interview harry and megan had shared their truth and their experiences and this kind of con- is a continuation of that it is again their experiences of mm, interacting with the family after such uh huge revelations now i don't know how this changes things moving forward will, will this continue to be a thing if it is I'm not sure if that's particularly great for anyone because but at the same time if we're seeing a resistance towards addressing any of the issues then maybe this will keep kind of not going away for some time as I, as I said before the break you can only really put, bring an end to these topics or these concerns or or even answer to allegations by actually saying something uh, never complain never explain doesn't isn't really relevant to the world in which we live in these days where we expect transparency and openness and honesty from our public figures
1: Yeah, I think you make a really good point. And I'll be curious going forward, uh, is this sort of the new new, uh, MO? Is this the new way that they're going to be able to get their voices heard and hold people accountable? I mean, it it seems unprecedented to do this for the first time, but what if it becomes the new normal? Um, It'll be very, very interesting and could really change the way that, you know, royals communicate with the world.
0: Exactly. Well, I'm just happy that someone else is being called a mouthpiece for the week, (laughs) to be honest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that one hit close to home didn't it Ahmed it did a little
0: um, but you know listen we didn't just hear from Gail King this week a number of big names have been speaking out in support of the Sussexes starting with Beyonce, Queen Bee, uh writing on her website thank you Megan for your courage and leadership we are all strengthened and inspired by you um, we also heard from Serena Williams. I think this was actually technically last week before the episode went out, but I didn't, to be honest, notice it at the time because so much had gone on. But she also spoke, she said, I know firsthand the sexism and racism institutions and the media use to vilify women and people of colour to minimise us, to break us down and demonise us. Um, she said that Megan teaches me every day what it means to be truly noble um you know and of course we also heard words from hillary clinton michelle obama even was asked about it although i would have listen i've got to say with the most politically safe neutral response possible uh which you know she's
1: she's been around the block uh, she knows how to respond to these things there is an art
0: to 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 saying a lot without getting involved in any way whatsoever and of course i think Uh, she is someone that will not bring her own personal relationships with individuals, we know how close she is with the Sussexes, into what is a very public conversation about the British monarchy Um, but yeah it's it's interesting to see that this conversation keeps going and going, I don't think it's going to disappear for some time and of course it's had many people questioning much bigger issues to do with the monarchy Uh, a poll that came out this week uh, gave some very interesting statistics from your cousins over in Canada. Um, now, we have, we'd already heard last week that Americans were, uh, on the whole, incredibly sympathetic towards the couple and their experiences within the royal family. And I think there are a lot of people over here that argued that perhaps it's hard to take that as a realistic measure of sort of worldwide or global opinion of the royal family because, of course, in the US they hold no position whatsoever they are just celebrities in, in a way, um, albeit on a slightly sort of elevated level, whereas in Canada uh, the Queen and the Royals still hold very formal roles in Canadian society so this poll came out and it says that um, I think it, the numbers of the number of Canadians that believe that the royal family's formal role in the country should come to an end has risen by six percent in the past four wow, years
1: really? and that's two
0: percent since last year so it continues to go up so now around 60 percent said the relationship between the royal family and canada should end when it comes to reign change of course that's when prince charles takes the throne and 53 uh, percent um, say that they would back a referendum on the issue so that is hmm. you know that's punchy punchy talk coming from canada over there uh you know <laughs> canada getting all punchy exactly.
1: i'm really curious what the polling will be sort of in the aftermath of this interview as well if the interview changed any minds or hearts hmm.
0: well I, I we certainly saw with a it was a yougov direct poll done with i think two or three thousand u.s adults they found that Americans be- believed, I think it was like 44% of America believed that it was mm. appropriate for the couple to take part in the interview and be that candid. And then the, the remaining figure was majority people saying, I don't care. And, and then others saying that it was inappropriate, which is very different to mm. the UK where 47% of those polled said that it was inappropriate for the couple to even share their wow. story, despite, this is of course after the interview had taken place, despite what had actually come out from the yeah. interview, which I guess kind of mirrors some of the public pushback we've seen against what are some very big claims against Royal family. Mm-hmm. Um, many people seemingly wanting to kind of bury their head under the sand or ignore it or hope that it goes away. I'd imagine that certain family members are in the same... Same position as that. Um, But, you know, I think that what we're going to see over the years ahead is a lot more of these kind of polls from Commonwealth countries, Mm -hmm. including the 14 that the Queen still remains head of state over, again, questioning the future of the monarchy. And and this is going to be Mm. the thing that drives future royal tours when they're back on the road. This is going to be the thing that really becomes part of the agenda of the royal family subtly proving themselves or having to prove themselves over and over again it's going to be a tough time especially with such a small pool of senior royals so active
1: and you know when you think about it i guess this is something that in modern history the royals have kind of had to do for decades now Mm. i mean not to keep mentioning the crown every single time we have this podcast (laughs) but you know even if you look back um When, when you know Queen Elizabeth first took the throne, there were talks about sort of the strength of the monarchy and how to modernize it and how to make sure it stays relevant and powerful. And so, you know, on one hand, a lot of these conversations aren't new, right? They've had to sort of reinvent themselves and stay relevant and make sure that they still have a use for the people. Um, But it seems like this is a defining moment. This is something that has kind of shaken it to its core Mm. and they'll really have to answer for and and, uh, figure out a way to if they want to you know stay a part of modern society it seems like this is the moment where they're going to have to figure out a way to not just move past this but make sure they address it in, in a way that they move forward. So
0: with all of this going on people may be wondering well what are the Sussexes up to? How, how's their, their yeah, work? The work carries on for them and, and it's been really interesting to see how it's sort of like all is fine here we're just going to get on with with what we, what yeah. we know best. Um, with the, I think ri- literally moments before the Oprah interview aired, their Archwell Foundation, which is their non-profit charity, um, launched a, an initiative, if you would call it that, but a, a, at least a mm. campaign encouraging people to participate in real acts of compassion for the women in their lives and their communities. This, of course, comes during uh, Women's History Month and off the back of International Women's Day, so these are suggestions such as sort of trailblazing women who came before us supporting local female-led businesses or ordering from a local female-run restaurant or female-owned restaurant uh, keeping up to date with issues uh, within the UN women all sorts you can check it out on their website but of course the couple also want to walk the walk as well as talking the talk so they've been doing a lot of their own things over the weeks as well and we saw uh, to mark International Women's Day this year uh, Megan wrote a letter to students at the school that she visited for her last public rural engagement before leaving the UK, it was the Robert Clack School in Dagenham in London and she visited there just before stepping down and that again Mm -hmm. was for International Women's Day and she had written them a letter Um, really expressing empathy for students who have needed to adjust to homeschooling over the past year and also talk about the importance of small acts of compassion that we all can and I think this all sort of mirrors you remember the statement they put out um, just before the queen responded to their statement no what was it this all mirrors or comes off the back of uh, do you remember the statement they put out when they confirmed that they were remaining in their independent roles where they said that service is for everyone this is not something exclusively for all family members Mm -hmm. and uh, this letter sort of continued from that she said uh, Megan wrote small acts of compassion have the power to make a real and lasting difference and I thank you all for the kindness you provided me during my visit Um, she also went on to talk about some of the memories that she had made while visiting the school and says that she still has the debate society team jacket that she was given with her here in California and she still wears it often she said thank you again for thinking of me Um, she went on to say that it's obviously been a very challenging year for all of the students but she wants to sort of keep in touch with them and also welcome them back because as you know very recently all the British schools went back to in-class teaching which I mean what a relief for students and for parents everywhere,
1: <laughs> yeah you know i love uh, I love these follow ups right, because I think that so often you may see a royal show up or any celebrity for that matter, and they do sort of the photo op and then they leave, and you think that's it, but to show this thoughtful follow up is so powerful and you know, we, we talk about sort of the significance of the royal family and and, and royals. And, uh, you know, I think even though Harry and Meghan have stepped back from being working members of the royal family, they're continuing with this service uh, using their platform. <laughs> did <we>? And uh, <laughs> something that struck me, you know, when we were spent a lot of time outside of Buckingham Palace the last few weeks, Omid, as you did as well, covering, did we? Were we living there? Um, and we, you know, talked to a lot of people and just kind of regular people walking around asking them about the royal family and something that I heard from so many people was that here in the in the UK at least you know while there is this drama and the debate over, is there a place for a monarchy mm. in a modern world? They said what they love about the royal family is that it is this unit that is above politics, right? They are not elected and because of that, they don't have to you know, take sides necessarily. So when they show up somewhere, it doesn't matter if you're on the right side, left side, in the center, This is outside of politics, and so it really can bring joy to people in a very non-polarizing way, and I had never honestly thought about it like that before. Maybe it's because I'm American and we don't have a royal family, but having someone explain to me why it mattered to have a royal show up at an event. Uh, was really impactful, and I kind of see that here. You know, yes, Meghan is continuing this service outside of being a working member of the royal family, but she still has you know that royal influence and following up like this and seeing the uh, reaction from people that she meets. You can see it's like something bigger than just her. Even there's there's more to it, and it, and it is really powerful. Mm.
0: You know, so many people bring up this this conversation about the couple. Doing commercial endeavors and how they're living such different lives. And my argument is sometimes that if we kind of strip it all back, the work looks really similar to what they were doing already. And I think the fact that they're still keeping those links with the organizations from the past uh, is kind of a proof of that. You know, Megan, just this week, she had also, as part of these sort of Archwell small acts of compassion, she had sent notes to a number of the women who had received uh coaching tips and professional attire and help uh, by from the smart works which is the uk organization over here that helps unemployed and vulnerable women return to work and megan had designed the capsule wardrobe for them gosh was it a couple of years ago now she's a patron for them and so she had written notes to a number of the women um who are sort of currently working with the charity uh she addressed and signed each of them and she had written a few i think there was sort of a pre-printed section to it but then she'd also handwritten notes on each one so it was sort of like for one client that was preparing for an interview she wrote you know you'll be amazing in your interview remember deep breaths and be yourself and I think keeping that relationship with the with the charities not just in the UK not just in the US but also in the UK shows that no matter how frayed the relations get with the royal family members their relationship with the uk and at least with the organizations that they were doing is something that they still prioritize and we saw that when the charity or when archwell announced that they were backing or offering support and i presume that is financial support as well as physical support to four different charities two of them being uk based uh one is mind it's a mental health charity here in the uk that offers resources um, to organizations but also to individuals currently going through mental health struggles in fact we saw them really speak out in a huge amount of support for megan around the time she was dealing with the claims or the sort of nasty comments from piers morgan last week but one of the interesting charities that they backed was the press Pad charitable foundation um this is and you know and this is You know, when we heard Harry and Meghan talk about wanting to create or at least help create a um, more diverse media landscape and that they wanted to work with a sort of bigger selection of media organisations from grassroots to sort of top tier, but at least have that variety of not being sort of so stuck within the kind of royal preferred organizations that we sort of see often working with with the family members here Presspad they've been around for a few years they're kind of working to improve diversity within British newsrooms so by lowering the financial barrier for young people who want to become journalists and they provide grants training support they can even set uh, young people up with a mentor whether it's like staying at their home for a couple of weeks whilst you do an internship in London or whatever it is it's basically allowing a much wider variety of individuals to have a place within the newsrooms here, which of course will have a huge effect on then the the, the, the news or the, the content that's put out following that. So it's it's really interesting to see all of the things that they're choosing to focus on. And, you know, I think that the interview that they gave kind of gives like a backstory for each of those. It's like we heard the mental health backstory, we know their issues with the media mm. and they're actually working to fix or help bring change to many of the areas in which they think need it.
1: Yeah, you're right, it's really powerful to see uh... Like you said in the very beginning, you know, you can talk about an issue, but to have back an organization that's doing something to address it and make it better in the future and address those systemic problems, uh, it's really hopeful. For me, this press pad one was really interesting because, you know, we've seen that so firsthand. There are a lot of barriers to entry Mm -hmm. to get into journalism in so many fields. And uh, to have an organization like this that is really addressing it head on and doing it in a way that creates a you know uh, hopefully somewhat more level playing field there's obviously a lot of work to do more than just this organization can but at least you know the first steps to get there uh, will be so important and so I I, I was really excited when I saw that yeah absolutely
0: and the other one that they just before we before we sign out the other one I just want to give a shout out to them color of change is one of the other organizations that they're supporting they describe themselves as America's largest online racial justice organization. I think they have about seven million people signed up but it basically uh, helps enable people to tackle racism in the criminal justice system, inequality in voting, economic justice and uh, I guess ultimately creating a more human and less hostile world for black people in America and you know I think again this sort of speaks to another one of the, the sort of strands of issues that they brought up in the interview and i said this before the interview went out i think that we may feel like this this is a tell all or was going to be a tell-all but actually i think it will also serve as a backstory to a lot of the work that they're doing moving forward
1: yeah it's like, you know it's always nice omit oh, i feel like we've had a um lots to talk about this week and I love that we can end on this positive note of all of these organizations that are doing so much good and now getting extra awareness and and hopefully exactly friends.
0: so I'm gonna ask you before you go I'm putting you on the spot here your act of <gasps> oh compassion gosh. for the week
1: oh <laughs>
0: do you have what, what is, is it, it going be? to be does it involve oh, baking me sourdough moment. bread
1: is that what you <laughs> want to do? <laughs> My act of compassion for the week is going to be baking something nice for Omid. Also, smiling at people. I
0: like that. That we definitely need a lot of that. And you know what? I really noticed that when we were in the fray of the just mania surrounding the Oprah interview and the days that followed. I, I still. Call it the biggest week of royal news I've ever covered, but you were definitely a ray of sunshine amidst the craziness. Oh yeah! You... <laughs> the only person literally doing we try, outside Bucky and Palace.
1: <laughs> you gotta try. You gotta try to spread the joy somehow. <laughs>
0: I like that. I think what what is my act of compassion? Well, I have I have been yeah, supporting be? a food bank here in East London called the First well, it's the First Love Foundation Food Bank. Mm. Um, but they provide food packages for people in the Tower Hamlets district of London, which is the neighbourhood that I'm part of. But I think a lot of the food banks here in the city have really experienced a sort of almost drought mm. of uh, donations since the holidays. I think holidays is always a time where there's kind of like a deluge yeah. of uh, generosity. And then we sort of get back to our own lives and so on. So I'm sort of, that's something that I, I'm keeping on the go. That's a good one. That's but I'm, I'm going to take your one as well. well- I'm going to smile more for sure. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I think it's spread a little joy. But I want to hear what everyone else is doing too. This will be fun. Um, send us messages on Twitter or Instagram. Maybe we can talk about them next week and uh, encourage others to, to keep going with acts of compassion.
0: And on that upbeat note, we're going to head into the weekend and wish you well. Thank you as always for listening. And a big shout out to the ABC Audio team in New York, including Anthony Alley. Thank you for always Having our backs over here. Take care, guys. Look after yourselves, and we'll see you in the next episode.